I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing that was all started by a mouse. Hello, everyone out there in podcast land. This is the Beyond the Mouse podcast, the podcast for all things Disney for NPR Illinois Community Voices and for the Front Row Network. I'm your host today, Craig, joined by one of my co-hosts because Vanessa is still in those MBA classes that are just crushing her at the moment. Uh, but by the time she's you know, by the time this them, is released, yeah. yeah, she's crushing them. You're right. Yes. But by the time this is released, actually, she might be just about done with it. So maybe she's listening back to this. Uh, so Vanessa, congratulations on completing. Yes the uh, worst semester uh, in terms of work for your academic career, but the yes. best semester because now it's over. So, uh, hey. but I am joined by Mr. Brett Rutherford. How are you, sir? Hi, I keep interrupting. I'm so sorry. I'm you doing just interrupting well. that whole thing. Now I'm going to interrupt you while you're trying to talk. Go ahead. Tell them what you're here <laughs> for or why you're here. I am here to spread joy. And now and I'm going to start knowledge. talking over you again, just like that. No, That's I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You know, we shouldn't we shouldn't mess around like this when we have such a great guest. Here I know. To have I know. Back on Should the I show interrupt for, here? Hi. <laughs> for to have back on that the show good. for I don't know, his fourth or fifth time at this point, but Matthew Kroll from Imagination Skyway, uh formerly the Imagineer podcast, and just so excited to get a chance to catch up with you today, sir. Yeah, thanks for inviting me back. Always great to chat with all of you. In this case, yeah. both of you. I know Vanessa's not here, but it's the two of you. Right. See, we can definitely we can definitely see Brett's talking over me again. There there again. Uh I'll but stop. we can we can definitely uh feel Vanessa's spirit on the episode for sure. But you know, I just want to talk to you about uh what you've been up to. I know that you've had some really great experiences since the last time that we chatted, and that you have really done sort of a rebranding of uh what you put out there in terms of content and love to talk to you a bit about that. And then just some things that are going on at Disney as well. There's a bit of breaking news today, and now I know that this isn't going to be released for a couple of weeks. So uh uh, it might be something that we certainly will be giving our thoughts about in our own social media, but it's kind of nice to get that rapid reaction thoughts too. So we may do a little bit of that, but want to ask, first of all, give us the update, give us what you are doing over at Imagination Skyway and all of the changes that you've done. It's been a year. I tell you, it's, I'm always thinking about what's next. I guess it's the little bit of the Walt Disney inspiration in my life. So I'm always trying to plus and amplify and make better and improve and try new things. So this year, I've really accelerated that philosophy a lot. And a big part of that, as you mentioned, Craig, is the rebranding. That was something I had actually been thinking about for a couple of years, because I started the show as a, a little hobby to talk about my love of Imagineering. But as the show continued, I evolved way past Imagineering. And the name really spoke to the idea exclusively of Imagineering. And not only that, but one of the most common questions I got from people on Instagram Live or through email is, well, how do I become an Imagineer like you? And I always have to say, like, well, I'm not an Imagineer. I, I study Imagineering. I love Imagineering, but I'm not an Imagineer. So to kind of take care of both of those things, address the the confusion about me not being an Imagineer and to explore the growth of the podcast. I spent a couple of years brainstorming names. Um, it, it was literally probably about a thousand names that I brainstormed and they had to meet certain criteria, including being available. Um, so ultimately I decided on Imagination Skyway, just ripped the bandaid off, went with the name change. They didn't give any warning about it coming, just announced it and we moved forward. And I think there was maybe five days of confusion and then we've moved way past that. So um, it's not even, I, I don't even have to 
in many cases say formerly Imagineer podcast anymore because people just understand where the brand is today. Yes. Uh, so that that was one major component of it. Um, updating all the social media channels, updating the website, updating the podcast. I took that chance to also reframe my formula for designing podcast episodes a little bit. Um, just a couple little details here and there. So really just clean slate and just moving right forward with with new content. So I had that going on. And then this has been a tremendous travel year for me, not going to a lot of places, but going to the same places a lot. So February went to Phoenix to visit family. May took a group trip to Walt Disney World, which was the mm -hmm. first time we ever did that. And we're doing another one again next year. I'm very excited for that. So I'm working on some of those plans now. Um, July went back to Phoenix to visit family and visited Disneyland. That was Maggie's first trip to Disneyland. So that was really exciting. And then August and September went down to Walt Disney World three times, which was oh, wow. even for me a lot. I got very familiar with MCO, um, Orlando International Airport, right. <laughs> and that entire route, uh, that flight down the coast, it felt like my work commute. Um, so it was, uh, I went for like a content trip just to really dive deep into or double down on getting content. I got a ton of audio content and video content. My cousin joined me for that to help me out since he's in the media space as well. Then went back for an actual vacation, which was really pleasant. Um, stayed at Boardwalk, went with Maggie and Joanna, and then went back again for Destination D23 at the beginning of September. Um, was invited by Disney to come down, which was real dream come true for me. And then returned to Disneyland the beginning of October for Oogie Boogie Bash. So I have been doing a lot of travel. Um, I'm going back to Phoenix the end of October for a wedding. And then I'm going back to Walt Disney World the beginning of November for the holiday season. Now, I oh got to jump that's... in. Yeah, I, I've got to jump that's in and just, me. first of all, you, you talked about a lot of things that I want to hit on. But one of the things that you and I had talked about back and forth quite a bit when I was thinking about purchasing into DVC was that you were also considering that as well and that you've made that purchase now. And so I know you said you'd stayed at Boardwalk, but how are you feeling about that particular purchase? Uh, and where are you at? Where's your home resort at? Well, this really is a big year because I forgot to mention that we became Disney Vacation Club members in May. Um, so or technically April closed in May, either way. But uh, so our home resort is Grand Floridian. Um, how am I feeling about it? Even better than before. I just waited too long to jump on it. I, I, I would not go back and buy earlier because I think that a lot of people say that mm -hmm. that's, that's their, their biggest regret. regret. Yeah. Um, the only reason I don't say that is because my circumstances were very unique. I always wanted Grand Floridian, but then it, the time passed where it was on sale. And then it was only in through the resale market, not direct through Disney. And if you did buy direct through Disney, it was there was a wait list. The price was astronomical. Um, so it was it was not something I was on my radar. Uh so if I had purchased sooner, I would have not had that opportunity. Plus, we actually got like a really great deal on it because we were able to stack a lot of discounts that sort of like the stars aligned at the same time. Um, so we basically bought it for a resale price direct through Disney. Oh, that's um, great that you're a direct member, too. That's awesome. Yeah. So it was it was just like just my circumstance did not regret not buying sooner. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's awesome. It, it definitely off. changes like, you know, it changes your ability to kind of look at trips in the future and when you know that you're going to go down there and everything else. And so uh, I like that you're classy over there at the Grand Floridian. That that tends to uh, fit the mold of where I think your home resort ought to be, uh, Matthew, for sure. You're, <laughs> the, you're just the classiest guy in Disney podcasting, for sure. But I'm going to dress but, the part. I'm going to go, you know, my tux every every day to Grand Floridian, a, even in August. Hat. Yeah, the top hat. Look down on my balcony along Seven Seas Lagoon. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Brett, you also were chiming in, and then oh. I jumped. Uh, I jumped all over your comment there, so we can we can do this back and forth all episode. I'm I, I've learned, and I'm I'm just taking my time now because I do not want to interrupt because because um, Vanessa is is screaming in my head. Don't talk over your guests. So well, she's not, but in my head she is anyway. So well, she was politely reminding me she was not screaming in my head which wasn't real but okay anyway so um so yeah so um well i don't i don't use the j word much jealous and i'm not jealous because i've had multiple opportunities but not much as you i'm like going let's see i don't want to recap my trip but yeah mine was business as well yeah so well you did the galactic star cruiser i never got the chance to do that and despite your invites despite your invites which i yeah i wish i could have taken just did not work out that i could did not work out yeah well well, when we move into, you know, new park ideas and all of that a little bit later, you know, where do you see that going? We'll leave that for a little bit later. But yeah, so um, are there any other updates? I mean, well, that's an awful lot. But yeah, that's what just else? the Disney uh, stuff. Yeah, that's just the Disney stuff. Yeah. Disney well, stuff. I mean, we're, you know, we're in October now slash November at the time that this is recording and playing and dropping it's October and all of that. 11th. There's a there's a parent trap reference in there. Yes. <laughs> I like really? that. Oh, oh, yes. Okay, sorry. You know, I was just thinking <laughs> of Miss Lohan this morning. You know, I'm like going, I'm ready for I'm ready for the Lindsay Lohan Essence. I am. I You're was, ready for her to come back? Is that because of Mean Girls Day on October 3rd, just the other day? And then now we've oh, got parent right. trap and, well, and everything it, else. You know whose birthday a... is also October eleventh is my cat turns uh four today. Excellent. Really, I'm I'm going in all different directions today. I'm sorry, but that's That's totally fine. Speaking of, I I mean, it's kind of on brand for us. Anyway, I don't want to necessarily leave this conversation without first uh, asking you about the fact that you uh, have done a couple of sponsored trips now, or you've done one and you're planning another one, or or not sponsored trips necessarily, but uh, where you are going to be taking people into the parks. And so, uh, I want to, especially depending on availability, there may still be seats available uh, at the time that this is released uh, for your April 2024 trip. And I can't imagine, you know, there's people that love the parks and their uh, ability to sort of translate that love to other people. Uh, they really exude sort of different confidence uh, or they exude whatever, just enthusiasm for the parks. But you not only have that piece of it, but you're just a wealth of information too. I love being able to listen into your deep dives on attractions and everything. So I cannot imagine how great it would be to sort of have you there as well, where if you don't necessarily know an answer to something, I bet you're the one that's going to do a ton of research to make sure that you then answer that question correctly, right? And so I, I think it would be great to go on one of these trips with you, but talk about your first trip and how that experience was, but then maybe also uh, give us some insights into the April 2024 trip. 
Yeah, the April 2024 trip is not 100% gelled. It is going to be the last weekend in April. So I wanted to make it in both cases over an extended weekend, but not a holiday. So it was accessible to people who can't take a lot of time off from work or don't want to take a lot of time off from work, which I empathize with, um, or who don't want to have the holiday crowds, because I also do not want to have the holiday crowds. So we picked kind of weekends that were, again, accessible. Um, The May trip of last year... There were about a dozen of us, and we all stayed at Disney's Coronado Springs Resort. That was actually a requirement we had for the last trip was in order to participate, you had to be staying on property, staying at our resort. We chose Coronado Springs because of its ability to serve a wide base of interests. You could Uh stay at an outer building and have the same price as a value resort. But the outer buildings at Coronado Springs, you could get a pretty great rate um, for, for those like under 200 a night. And then, you know, that works all the way up to the presidential suite at the Grand Estino Tower for like 2000 a night, um, you know, if it's available. So there was like a wide range of room options, a lot of rooms available. It's one of the largest resorts at Disney, um, one of my favorite places to stay. And it gave us a chance to regroup in the morning, kind of travel together, go to the parks, also staying on property. We all had early theme park entry that we took advantage of, um, you know, at that time was through my sponsor agency um, at the time, which was Magical Park Vacation. So they helped to organize a lot of the logistics behind that. And they also organized, which was great. And part of the sort of like there was, we had a, a group trip fee that came with it, which was taking care of the the planning side of things, all the work that goes up on the front end. And it also helped pay for a tour. Um, so we worked with a third party tour group that, on one of those days met us at the park and took us like it's not the same as disney's vip tours so disney's vip tours are the only official tours at disney they're able to like skip the lines and Mm -hmm. go from place to place um you know this these third-party agencies this one is the i believe the oldest and the most reputable and the one that's actually like kind of recognized by disney um which made me feel good about using them but they man their expertise is park strategy so they do this all day every day with families and they have learned how to navigate the parks using Genie Plus, using individual Lightning Lane purchases, using standby queues, knowing how to adapt and go with the flow if something is down, where to go from there. Um, so I can't even tell you how much we got done at Magic Kingdom. It was insane how much we got done at Magic Kingdom. Um, and, you know, not using any sort of like shortcuts, because that is another thing that I completely frown upon they just worked within the system that disney offers just like any other guest but they had that wealth of knowledge to sort of guide us through that park day uh so i actually came away with that with a, a park strategy or two that i that's know that's great parks. yeah so anyway so uh that was part of it as well we dined together we chose a lot of quick service but we did choose a couple of table service meals we booked two separate reservations for similar times because we were a large group they were in most cases able to seat us together when we checked in or at least the tables next to each other at about the same time. Um, and it was just a fun time to sort of hang out together with listeners of the podcast, with people who follow the our Instagram page or our Facebook page. So that was that was kind of the May trip. Very fast paced, two parks per day. So we hit four parks in two days. Um, the April trip, I'm doing things a little bit differently. So first of all, I'm not requiring that you stay on property. You are going to miss out on early theme park entry if you don't. So there is an advantage and a reason to stay on property with us, but you don't have to. So that opens it up to locals who might just want to come from home, um, but still participate in the trip. So that's one change for this year. 
Um, the other change is when you, if you do are staying on property, you do not have to stay at the same resort as us. And I wanted to open it up to an even wider set of room options. So I'm specifically choosing the Skyliner resorts as the place to recommend to stay. So that's, you know, all the way from Pop Century of Automation Valley Resorts, Caribbean Beach Moderate Resort, Riviera, Boardwalk, Beach Club, Yacht Club, even Swan Dolphin and Swan Reserve will categorize there too. And that's just going to be recommended because I think some days will probably at least one of the days start out in the morning at the International Gateway for Epcot. Um, so kind of I'll be able to meet there relatively mm -hmm. easily, even if you just have to take the Skyliner over or walk over, depending on where you're coming from. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, probably going to throw in a, instead of a, a third party tour, a formal Disney tour. Not a VIP okay. tour, because um, that I know is is out of reach for a lot of people, myself included. It's a little a little pricey for even you know, for me to take advantage of um, with those Disney Vacation Club discounts on the VIP tours. But you know, I'm thinking one of the guided tours at Disney, so something like a Keys to the Kingdom tour, or you know, maybe Wild Africa Trek. Like I'm I'm going a different few different ways in my head. So I'd say well, be fun to do. I, I mean, absolutely. I, I really want to do Keys to the Kingdom and I can't wait to do that someday. But uh, and I know that this is but Matthew, I want to see you uh, go do behind the seeds yeah. uh, at Living that's with the Land. That's probably okay, what so. we're actually going to be doing. I just didn't want to say it, but you beat me to it. Um, That's where <laughs> I'm, I'm actually thinking of doing behind the seeds tour. So oh, that would be perfect. one of the most affordable and most appropriate to do. <laughs> yeah, I think it's only what about $35 per person or yep. something like that. So that yep. makes it really, uh, really affordable for people. It's just so cool that you're starting to do that and starting to really have that community with your listeners. And, uh, you know, we've had a chance to interact with you and chat with you. And I know that you're very open to your listeners uh, contacting you and, and chatting with you as well. But it's just great uh, to be able to continue to build this community out even further, which is just awesome. Now, one of the other things that you talked about that I know uh, Brett is really excited about, and maybe that J word uh, will come back up to this, was that <laughs> you were uh, given media passes to Destination D23, and you mentioned that mm. as well. And of course, you had also covered the D23 Expo uh, out in Anaheim this past year, back in 2022 as well. And so I want to get some of your experiences or reactions to the news that came out about that. Uh, Brett, you had something? Yeah, well, well, we were both at Destination D23 the time before. So what year was yes. that? <laughs> but anyway, 2021, 2021, November. Yeah. Yeah. And I just wanted to check with you. We will certainly get to uh, the new items, which kind of surprised me because at the one that we attended, it was rather status quo. There, there weren't many new projects announced. So when they did that this time around, it was kind of... Uh, it surprised me very much. But can you, since you've been to both, can you kind of compare and contrast? You know, uh, it, it seems one seems kind of homey and folksy Disney, and the other one is just, oh my gosh, it's 24 7 out and about and big, big time events. What can you compare and contrast that for us, please? Yeah, this is a, I think, a point of confusion with a lot of Disney fans. Um, and I, I think it's probably because of, the advertising that goes behind both of them are rather equal in size, but the D23 Expo in Anaheim is the major fan event. So that's similar to a Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con. That's the event that if you're a Disney fan, you're going to see celebrities, hear major updates to parks, hear 
major movie releases and like broad stroke announcements for like here's the next five ten years at marvel here's the new timeline here's the you know oh we have three new star wars films coming like that's the that's the type of stuff that happens at d23 expo and it is a multi-day multi-panel i think i counted in 2022 there were 65 66 panels it's impossible to see it's literally impossible for one person to see everything because three to four panels are happening at the same time Mm -hmm. um so it's a tremendous in size number of attendees and a magnitude of announcements event destination d23 is a I consider it to be more a celebration of Disney fandom and mm-hmm. a more intimate group that is looking at the updates that have been announced and the progress towards those next steps. So mm-hmm. you don't find a lot of major news. And I think a lot of Disney fans going into Destination D23 expecting major news. I never go into that event expecting major news. I expect to hear updates to things that have previously been announced. And if they announce something new that's kind of a cherry on top it's not something i expect to hear i think this mm-hmm. year was a little bit of an exception they went a little bit more with the the new announcements than i'd seen in the past but yeah destination d23 is one room smaller number of attendees you can attend everything in two days of events and it's over a weekend and it feels a little bit more low-key casual like just a bunch of disney fans gathered together in one room mm-hmm. hearing some fun stories from the past from mm-hmm. disney legends and it's it's just a little bit more intimate and um low-key so it's Mm -hmm. it's a little more like relaxed of a of a a fun little charming disney events um that they happen to live stream the first day yeah right so that that's the difference some of it yeah some of it because i think when when we were there in 2021 there was a lot of live streaming but so this time around whenever they go and now we're going away i'm like going i i've when I was there, I'm like going, so there, haha, now we get something. Well, I wasn't quite that mean. But anyway, <laughs> but uh, but this time around, I'm like going, oh, yeah, now I wish I was there. But no, no. But anyway, next next time, because it is so intimate and kind of, as you say, intimate and low key. And it's just an, a nice contrast to everything that is D23 Expo, which is now D23 Ultimate Fan Event. Mm-hmm. Yes, so they, next year. There's a rebranding, a re yeah, a, a new name. So yeah. Well, cool. Well, I hope to we slash well, I hope to join you at the next one too. So should that happen? Yeah, I've anyway. got my hotel books, <laughs> thinking about airfare soon. Um I'm probably gonna wait till oh, I get for, at least tickets yeah. before I get airfare, but that's definitely uh-huh. on my list. Yeah, that's wow, so great. Cool. And you know, I think what's neat about like you were saying about D23 is looking at those panels. Now, of course, all the Disney legend, there's there's the legend ceremony, there's so many things that happen at the uh, event as well in Anaheim. But I think it's cool that you get some of that more FaceTime with some of these Disney legends in these smaller panel areas. And I mean, myself personally, having never attended either event yet, but to me, if news is breaking in these major, huge panels, I may not be as apt to go to a panel that uh, Jody Benson's hosting about, you know, uh, voice acting in Disney. But if something like Destination D23, when it's smaller groups like that, then absolutely. Um, I would go and say hi to Jody, you know, like, I think that that's, uh, 
uh, a really cool thing for Disney fans and especially fans of those Imagineers too, because it does seem like so many of the Imagineers and particularly the Disney legend Imagineers uh, are able to come to those events too and host those kind of panels. And you get to learn more about the attractions and things like that. So that's all just so, so cool. And uh, I'm excited that you were able to cover that and that you did such a good job of keeping the content coming. We actually... We credited you. We cited our source, but uh, we used your kind of rundown of the announcements at the event when Brett and I did our reactions. So uh, we we made sure that we again, we made sure (laughs) that we cited our source there. Uh, But it was it was cool to be able to kind of follow along with you as you were able to do that. And as you were able to to go about um, covering all of that for us, too, for us as fans, really. Mm -hmm. It was exciting for me as a fan. I bet <laughs> on this on on, oh my, on my side too. So, sir, I do have uh, and and we've all been sort of in the fan community. We've been talking about this uh, new direction that they've been taking at these types of panels and events for a while. And I want to pick your brain about it a little bit. And that is that it used to be that we would get fairly concrete details and fairly concrete plans as to what was going to be announced and what was going to be happening. Now, some of those things maybe never come to fruition. I think, you know, of course, COVID being the outlier here, but like I am still uh, RIP the Mary Poppins attraction in the UK pavilion. And I hope that it does happen someday. But We've shifted away from that under the parks presentations now to where they start to put in these words that are kind of um, this sounds worse than I think it is. But in media, you call them weasel words, kind of like we might do this or we're looking into this or whatever the case may be. But lawyers, lawyers looked over the wording very carefully. Uh huh. Exactly. Or, uh, you know, Josh Damaro, and this goes back to more of the uh, expo in 2022, but he used the idea of blue skying, which is what they do with Imagineers. We've, of course, you've covered tons of Imagineers that have blue skied all sorts of things, but they're bringing us into that process. But that also means that we don't necessarily get concrete plans. So I'd like to get your take on all of that, like the ideas of like, oh, we've got this area by Frontierland. Maybe we'll do X, Y, Z. Maybe we won't. We're still kind of looking into it from a fan perspective um, and a content creator like you are. Where are your thoughts on that and how that shift has happened? It makes it confusing for a lot of people to decipher what is concrete news and what isn't. Even when something is formally announced, we've seen this in the past, circumstances sometimes warrant changes to those announcements or complete revoking of those announcements. So obviously nobody expected a pandemic. So everything that was announced at D23 Expo 2019, a lot of things had to be scaled back. There were already projects that were in motion that's plane took off there was no turning back um construction had started ground had broken like things they had to finish so things that they didn't have to finish they either delayed or paused completely um given those those new circumstances so it's always the case that that could come to be but now we have to really pay attention to the words that are being used and i try to do that too and even i was with other folks um you know like whenever we would sort of break from a panel go grab some you know coffee or water or take a restroom break or something i'd be chatting with the other media folks with me and 
as we're trying to decide what to write on Instagram, we're all like, so was that, was that an announcement? Was that, was that something that's definitely coming? Is that, listen, we all, you know, amongst ourselves, we're trying to figure out what exactly to say and how to word it. And we wanted to be good stewards of the information and make sure we were accurate and how we're portraying it, which is why we're talking about it. Um, it's good to have that Disney community camaraderie because that might not exist in, not exist in every industry. Um, so, you know, part of it is, I think, positive. Part of it is confusing. Um, and we tend to, as fans, have a lot of hope for big new things. So it's exciting when we hear the possibility of something new and then could be disappointing when we don't hear anything more about it after that or something changes. Um, but I think it's actually tapping into Walt's a little bit because Walt had a tendency to talk about things before they even came out as well or like tease out ideas mm -hmm. before they were fully baked uh haunted mansion he had yeah. teased out for years before the attraction came out three years after he passed and he had himself like teased out the haunted mansion this was years in advance um haunted mansion took over a decade to develop uh so it, there and that's just one of the examples and there were times that something might have been announced that didn't come to be or ended up being different but we live in a world where everything is so fully accessible there's more artwork there's more visuals there's more um specifics and there's more people who are really analyzing this stuff in detail so when something changes there's more information about it having changed i i'm in the camp of i think it's exciting to hear of things that are potentially being developed um but i just keep them in the back of my head that this is not an announcement this is something cool that they're thinking about i as an imagineering fan like to see what they're thinking about um and i know from just studying imagineering history that there are countless projects on shelves that mm -hmm. never happened um that were developed even something like westcott um that was a full theme park that the imagineers developed for disneyland that didn't come to be I'm like, there's a lot of ideas that just get tabled or shelved, but none of them die completely. The spirit of them in some way ends up in some part of another attraction or, you know, another theme park somewhere else. So um, even, you know, Beastly Kingdom, a very famous Animal Kingdom project land that never happened that turned into Camp Mini Mickey, people are like, well, Beastly Kingdom never happened. And it, you're right, but the spirit of beastly kingdom does live on in Pandora because mm -hmm. it is talking about instead of mythological creatures, we're talking about science fiction creatures, still kind of mythological. And the two attractions that were pitched for beastly kingdom, one of them was going to be flying in some way on a dragon avatar flight of passage flying mm -hmm. in a banshee. Mm -hmm. Another one was going to be a mystical river attraction through a mythological forest. Think navi river journey so a lot of things do end up in some way spiritually making their way into things that do come to be um it's a long ramble but i think you just have to be careful as a fan to understand that now that they have moved in this direction they're giving us a bigger part in the story um allowing us to react to it before it's even being developed and I think they're testing to see what works and what doesn't. But we just have to know that just because they're announcing it as things they're possibly working on doesn't mean that it's something that's actually coming to be. And even if it does, it's probably not going to be exactly as the way that they you know, physically painted it in the concept art or as, uh, as they're describing it. I also think that there were 
given the, I guess, the business and stock sort of uh, position of Disney right now, I think that they were a little bit more forthcoming or made some gestures and announcements in order to maybe stimulate or placate um, kind of the business audience. So they knew that there's wonderful things coming. Mm-hmm. Just wait, you know. And so I think that was perhaps one of the reasons that we heard a little bit more at Destination D23 about the what ifs. <laughs> so, And they have competition they're dealing with too. So yes, um, right down the street now with yeah. right down the street. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that competition moves fast. They're, they're known for, yes. for being very quick at developing things. They waste no time. Um, mm-hmm. I don't mind that Disney takes their time because mm-hmm. I know that the thought, and detail and story that goes into it is a lot richer um mm-hmm. you know do you want do you want a cake that's made faster or do you want a cake that's made right i i aim for the latter i'm a patient <laughs> i'm a patient guy and i'd rather like have that. that quality not to say that the competition doesn't have quality but there's a higher level of detail and quality that comes with disney that makes the disney difference yeah and i mean but it- at the same time, I think sometimes fans get wrapped up in this idea of immediacy and wanting something immediately. And then they see Universal doing something like uh, Epic Adventure and building an entire theme park in what seems like maybe the same time frame that it's taken Disney to open one attraction. And so I, I can understand it. I can kind of see it from both ways. I do think it's interesting. I, I feel I think now that I was primed to the idea that Destination D23 may have some more of the what if kind of uh, scenarios, I just wasn't expecting that in 2022 at the D23 Expo. And so I think that that's why I was so like caught off guard by the way that presentation moved and um, how it was all introduced. And it it really left me kind of a... frustrated at the way that that was done. But now I can understand uh, sort of the direction that they're moving into and making sure that they really don't announce things until they have concrete plans. And I mean, thinking about even something like uh, Spaceship Earth, you know, I was supposed to be one of the last writers on Spaceship Earth in late March, early April of 2020. Of course, that trip was canceled. And this is an icon of the park. And they still are looking at, you know, there's some rumors out there that maybe 2024 is when it goes down, and then it'll be down for 18 to 24 months um, to be able to get it uh, done and, and refurbished all the way. But that's such a huge monumental task that it's going to basically be, I mean, you can keep the same track, but you're essentially gutting the inside of the entire attraction. And so I, I think that it does take time and it does take money. And from all reports, and I want to kind of get your opinion on this too, Matthew, because you've been in the parks recently. And Brett, you've been in the parks considerably more than I have been. I've heard from a number of people, this is all anecdotal evidence, but even just kind of monitoring the wait times every now and then that I do, it seems like the parks are fairly down uh, in terms of attendance at the moment. But I wanted to throw that out there and see what if that appears accurate, Matthew, or, or if, you know, what your thoughts are on that. Uh, yes and no. Um, I think we had, this is what happens when you have constant reporting of everything. I think that 2022, uh-huh. if you're, if you remember the vernacular around 2022, it was Disney world is too crowded. And all yes. of a sudden in 2023, it's the part Disney world is too empty. There's, there's uh-huh. never, there's never a perfect situation. Is there, um, 2022 was exceptionally crowded because of the pandemic. You had a lot travel, of people yeah. who, yeah, it, revenge travel, exactly. A lot of yeah. revenge travel, people who did go every year 
who didn't go because of COVID now all of a sudden are like, oh, I got to get back. I got to get back. Disney Vacation Club members who had points that were expiring, got to get back, got to get back. And then the same thing for people who maybe go to the parks once every two to three to four years. Well, a lot of them didn't go in 2020 or 2021. So they all pushed it to 2022. So you had this weird mix of a lot of things happening. And now you have to contrast that with the 2023 data. Um where we're going from this extreme push of travel to now people who were going every two, three years. Well, they're not going to, they just want 2022. They're not going to go in 2023. And you have a, a not great economy, which is affecting travel everywhere. I think, the, in fact, domestic travel is down or national travel is up, if I remember correctly, um, because one, people now want to get out of the country. So they're prioritizing because they've been stuck in the country. So they want, they're prioritizing international travel because now they can travel again internationally. Right. Um, and also, surprisingly, domestic airfare has increased. International airfare, for the most part, has actually remained stagnant or decreased. So you have deals on international travel. So you have, it's not just like, I only go to Disney. You have this lost opportunity cost. You know, you could go to Disney or you could go somewhere else. You have, most people have dedicated vacation time and where they choose, how they choose to use that time could be to different places. Um, so anyway, I think there's a lot of, my point is there's a lot of larger factors at play. Um, that make it seem like 2023's crowds are less. Uh, did I experience that? Not really. Um, I think when I went in May, I went once in May, I went twice in, uh, once in August, no, sorry, twice in August, once in September. Even then, it was not like I felt like the parks were empty. Like I definitely, I sensed moderate crowds is probably the way I would put it, but I went at moderate to low peak times of year. So no, I do not feel like the parks are empty. Mm. Okay. Uh, there were times that I was a little surprised that a wait time was less than I would expect it to be. But, you know, Flight of Passage still got to be 110, 120 minutes. A lot of time that I was there. Navi River Journey, 60 minutes. Um, Peter Pan's Flight, that that hit 50 minutes, 60 minutes right when the park opened. If If Peter Pan's Flight ever is like 30 minutes or less in a day, then the park is empty. <laughs> but yeah. I did not... I did not experience that. I felt I felt like there were definitely people at Disney. Yeah. Brett, you I had agree, something? But yeah, I, I agree. But also, it seems, you know, it seems that park attendance, now that I have been to Walt Disney World during several decades, um, <laughs> that, you know, it is sort of cyclical. And, you know, sometimes there's more and sometimes there's less and all this. But as far as park revenue, park revenue was up. Even, I mean, in certainly in 2022, but in 2023 as well. So I, from what I understand, they're, they're still doing fine. I think it's naysayers and people who have perhaps have agendas and clickbaits and all of those other sort of media types that are, oh, the parks are empty. Look, I mean, they take a picture of something, you know, on, on Main Street early in the morning. Well, if you get the first thing in the morning, it's going to look empty, you know, so they're the context and all of that, you know, it's more about um, clicks and, you know, and agendas, I think. I don't know that they have actually as many perhaps uh, sort of uh, the credentials that, that other uh, journalists would have. So I'm, you know, everyone has their point of view and 
But anyway, to reiterate what you said, it has not been my experience that, you know, the middle of the day is not busy. Yeah, <laughs> so, no. And I, I mean, the last know. time I went, I, I went for that week in March. And I mean, of course, that was spring break time, but it it certainly didn't seem that way. But it's nice to hear from the, the two of you who've been in the parks considerably more than I have. Now, it, it is a transition point, though. I like that uh, you talked about that, Matthew, and then also Brett about this idea of uh, parks and where they're at, because now... This happened today as we're recording it, but it's going to be sort of old news by the time that this episode is released. I still think it's a relevant conversation to talk about. Disney gave us some good and some bad news today. So uh, the we'll start with the bad news first, uh, because it's always great to end on good news. But the bad news is that they raised prices on quite a bit. Again, um, they raised prices on Memory Maker. They've also raised prices on annual passes as well. Now, as someone that has a daytime ticket, I am... I, don't come at me annual pass holders like Brett over there in his box. And Matthew, I don't know with all those trips you had, I imagine you may be also an annual pass holder, but it is kind (laughs) of like, I understand from Disney's point of view that uh, you want to make sure you're placating those APs because they are the people that will come and spend a lot of money uh, elsewhere in your parks on things like merchandise and restaurants and everything else. But at the same time, um, I can understand that, you know, maybe there's a balance of uh, Bob Chapik, he who shall be named, maybe uh, always talked about the idea of the the family from Denver that's coming down and um, only doing a trip every once every five years that they see more market value from a business perspective and that family coming down and spending loads of money on single day tickets and things like that. That being said, uh, if and when the parks do start to stagnate a little bit, uh, it might be that they finally reached that threshold of what it is that they're able to charge and still be able to make those profits that Brett had mentioned. Um, because it, it is starting like more and more, you start to hear uh, the people saying that it, it's just getting priced out for them. So that was the the rough news that Disney gave us. But let's also talk about the good news. It had already previously been announced that uh, they were going to get rid of the reservation system for most guests. Uh, for guests that were booking single day tickets or package deals, they would not have to have a park reservation as of January 9th. I believe there w- were still some restrictions on APs needing to have park uh, reservations as well. That hasn't changed yet as of today's news. The The news that was dropped today was that the um, insistence that park hopping not start until 2 p.m. is gone. So as of January 9th, uh, people like me who like to park hop uh, enjoy that. You know, you just mentioned, Matthew, that on your trip in May, you did two parks in in each day. Uh, You can do that park hopping now at any time. And without the reservation system, I guess that makes a whole lot of sense, because if you're not necessarily needing to tap in at an individual theme park, you can kind of go anywhere on property that you want, which was sort of the good old days of Walt Disney World, then it allows for a free flow of traffic a little bit more. 2 p.m. was kind of late to do some park hopping for sure. But I want to get your two's opinions on that. Uh, we'll start with Matthew because you're our guest. But thoughts on all these news items that were brought up today? Um, price increases are never news. Um, they just turn into news. So I got to be honest The price increases yeah. happen every year, um, uh-huh. mm-hmm. everywhere. So it's not even exclusive to Disney, but, um, you know, that's a 
that's honestly, I, I expect price increases to happen. And the fact that they didn't increase the price of tickets for the single or multi-day park hoppers or for um, base tickets was great. They did for Disneyland, not for uh, for Walt Disney World. Annual passes, yes, they increased. How much do they increase? 30 to 50 bucks in a year. I mean, if someone is going to the parks a lot, that amounts to a couple of dollars for a park visit if you even go a couple of times a year. Um, so for me, they were like incremental I'd expect to see that type of price increase happen. It was like the the Starbucks, we just raised our cup of coffee by a few cents type of type mm-hmm. of increase. Um, Genie Plus at Disneyland went up. Th- standard theme park parking, I think most people don't even end up paying for that because <laughs> they're mm-hmm. staying on property, their annual pass holders, or their Disney Vacation Club members. Um, so yeah, the price increases did not surprise me. Um, it always surprises me. Um, you know, when they don't increase certain categories. So that, again, that single multi-day ticket not increasing was great. And actually the fact that Genie Plus is also not increasing at Walt Disney World was also surprising and great to hear. But they announce it later. Yes, I I expect that within the next year, Genie Plus is going to increase in price. And I expect this time next year, we're going to have another conversation about prices increasing. Um, and being priced out so, for families. That That's an ongoing conversation for sure. Yes, it, it, it seems to have a seems to be that it's always priced out for families but um people still end up still going yes. <laughs> um it it might be it, it, i have a background it's an mba um in marketing and finance so i think you know a lot of my analysis on the business side i guess gives me a different perspective than than the average person i don't like price increases nobody likes price increases um but this also came a month after disney just announced that they were increasing their capital expenditures 100 percent to 60 billion dollars over the next 10 years in disney parks the money doesn't come out of thin air um so basically we are you know part of that is going to go obviously to profits because it's a for-profit business but then a lot of it is also going to these increased capital expenditures and that's going to create new lands, new attractions. Um, but they have, from an, a pure economics perspective, they have a supply and demand issue. They want people to have a great experience at Disney and guests want a great experience at Disney, which means they don't want it to be overly crowded, um, but they also want it to be accessible to them anytime. So the theme park reservations made things a little bit more challenging for sure, um, but they also made sure that the parks never had really more guests than they expected. So they were able to accommodate for the number of guests that were there. But then if you don't want the parks to be too crowded, uh, you either have to, again, double the size of the parks, which they're, they're trying to expand it, which requires capital expenditures, or you have to, you know, real supply and demand, the greater the demand, the greater the price, um, mm-hmm. or the lower the supply, the greater the price. Um, so Disney's demand literally keeps increasing. Um, and as the demand increases, prices are naturally going to increase as well. Um, it's a very basic economics principle. Not only that, but if you look at inflation, what you think like, yeah, Disney's just trying to keep up with inflation. But the reason they're keeping up with inflation is because Disney is a business that has a lot of expenses. So even the cost of energy, they fortunately moved in Walt Disney World to a lot of solar power to not be as reliant on um, you know, traditional energy sources, but look at the rising cost of energy over the last few years. Disney is the one that's brunting the cost of that rising cost of energy supplies, even the cost of groceries, all these things that we take, you know, for us as normal consumers, we're experiencing the, 
the real stretch or push or tightening of our wallets as all these prices are increasing. Yes, Disney's a huge business and they have obviously cash flow to support them to be able to do this. Um, but they also are actually increasing their ticket prices less than inflation. So their expenses, their supply expenses are technically increasing more than they're charging for. Um, plus the fact that I know it's not talked about a lot, but Disney actually released in their annual report, I think it was last year, um, that they're working to also increase cast member wages past minimum wage to go beyond what the minimum wage is. So there's a lot of things that they're trickling down to help within the company to make sure the parks continue to evolve and expand and we have new experiences. Um, it's a very touchy subject because no one likes to hear it. Um, and there's executive pay and all kinds of things that come into the picture. And you could debate this stuff for hours, days, weeks. Um, that being said, I think, again, the price increases were, I thought, modest compared to what they could have been. Um, and that's not to say like, oh, great, everything, you know, let's let's be happy that it's not any more than this. Uh, right. It's a really weird way of looking at things. But um, I, I do think that, you know, knowing that Disney has announced a lot of things coming up that they're working on developing. And more importantly, the experience that I have, at least personally, when I go to Disney, I feel is worth the cost to me. Um, there are plenty of experiences that I've had that I feel like, oh, I overpaid for this. Um, I've never felt like I've overpaid for Disney. Very few exceptions to that with like peak times. Um, you know, I'll be honest, I think my my room at Bay Lake Tower could have used a refurbishment. I wasn't sure I would pay for, for uh, my deluxe studio at Bay Lake Tower again. Um, but in general, I generally find that I really get my money's worth at Disney. Um, and it might be the way that I go about the parks. But anyway, it's a really long ramble on park prices okay. that people are probably going to, can it, you know, attack me for in the comments, but oh, um, no, no. you're okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the park hopping news, which is the more positive side of things, I think is obviously a really welcome piece of news. I generally don't like to park hop that much. I know I talked about the group trip, but that's because I wanted it to be, again, I wanted to do it over a weekend to try to make sure as many people could go as was possible. I wanted to make it accessible to people. And I also did want to make sure that we hit as many parks as possible. So we did all four parks. But when I go personally, just that vacation I took in my family in August, we did one park per day. We might've hopped somewhere at night. And that's generally the one exception is like, if we do Animal Kingdom, we do Animal Kingdom. And then we might head to Epcot that night to see Epcot Forever or Lum Luminous, which I'm really excited to see that after December, or go to Magic Kingdom to see Happily Ever After. I was never really a morning park hopper person, except back in my, let's say, you know, 20s when I was doing more of the thrill rides. When I'd go to Animal Kingdom, you know, you do Everest, this is even before Flight of Passage, but like you Everest, Dinosaur Safaris, and then you leave at like 11 in the morning and go somewhere else for the rest of the day. Um, or Hollywood Studios, sort of a similar story there. You could do that relatively quickly, hit all the big thrill rides before noon, have lunch, and then head to another park. So I think really this is going to make things a lot more flexible for people. They don't have to think about like, oh, I can't park hop now because it's not two o'clock. Um, so that's, again, sort of adding to it. It's really bringing back an old experience, but it's... um. You can see they're trying to put more value. That's what I've seen. Like I've seen them really try to put more value into the experience at the same time. So I think it's obviously a, a, it's hard pressed to find somebody who's not excited by this news. 
Well, I'm excited. I'm excited <laughs> because for two reasons. Well, first, let's get into the park hopping because the 2 p.m. waiting for 2 p.m. really cramped my style. And I have great Disney style, you know. And so I'm like going, I am a, I am a rope dropper. I am a park hopper. And I am pleased that, that those now can coincide in a time that's entirely up to me because I will be an early park person. And then, I mean, I can do two parks by, you know, one o'clock because I hit some highlights. This is not, again, my situation is very different from most is that I'm there to see what I want to see. I don't have to see everything so I can get a lot done and having to wait till 2 p.m., was well it it made for earlier naps because i was in the park i was out by 10 i had four hours i could go shopping or i could sleep or whatever but yeah during pandemic times i would go back and sleep and not be around people but now the the future is wonderful and i'm very much looking forward to i don't know i think i i just want to book i want to book january 9th to celebrate everything that comes back on the 9th now don't quote me but you never know and the other thing is okay annual passes I've not always had an annual pass, but then they went away and then I got one and I'm like going, I don't want it to ever go away, <laughs> you know, again. So, you know, this natural increase year by year, as you so wonderfully spoke to, I'm like going, well, I totally understand that now. And I'm like going, but it might go away. And you may and not be able to get it. it. Yes, <laughs> exactly. It. And it's it was that with Disneyland as well. Yeah, I have both. I have annual passes for both. I don't have it's, the magic key. I that, know, that to me, I don't go to Disneyland enough to justify yeah. the cost of the magic key. Yep. Well, and the other thing is, you know, the, and I don't know that they have them currently. Oh my gosh, I must find that out. The premiere pass, I did have the premiere pass for one year, but I would look at the, you know, the cost of the premiere pass pass and i don't know if it's currently available so sorry i don't have that information i don't think that it, it's i not. think that that's one of the things that had gone away gone so away. But, well it was when it, the last time it was available it was more expensive to have a premiere pass than to have an annual pass at walt disney world and an annual pass at disneyland and i don't know if it because of the cachet of of having that i mean i enjoyed it because i had that you know wonderful card that did not live in your phone you know um yeah so uh and I have both, but yeah, knowing that it could possibly go away and the benefits that an annual pass bring you if you, if you go to the parks more than twice a year, more than once a year, sometimes it's, it's very worthwhile. And yeah, the discounts, oh my gosh, the, the discounts they offer. The resort I mean, discounts, 35% off a lot of 35 the year. 35% off really Grand Floridian. I did that. Yes, I and that's that. And yet you're, you're making back the cost of the annual pass just with that discount. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. That's significant. Mm -hmm. We had done the the math. I, I Like before, I think Vanessa and I had sat down and like really done the math. And now you can also argue the discounts and things like that as well. But just base ticket price and then also uh, everything else. It, basically, if you're there uh, seven to eight days, then that's kind of your break even point um, with the annual pass. Now, it might be a little bit closer to eight days now with uh, the uh, minor increases that happen. But it's somewhere in that area for sure. You know, one thing about park hockey that I didn't really think about and just kind of popped in my head uh, this moment is that right now we have these ideas of virtual queues that uh, for more of the 
the newer attractions, Guardians of the Galaxy, Cosmic Rewind, also Tron, uh, that have a virtual queue that opens up in the parks at 1 p.m. It used to be that you would have to kind of start your park day based on the reservation. You couldn't park hop until after 2 o'clock into Epcot and Magic Kingdom. Um, so you couldn't be in the park at 1 p.m. in that second park uh, yet. And so this might be able to change that too. So maybe able to strategize trying to get a later virtual queue if the virtual queues are still around you know i don't know if um on some level like uh, something like guardians uh this is where they can come at me in the comments now matthew there is a benefit to allowing people to wait in line and that is that it sucks up those people into an area and you know you can then have a better flow of traffic. So I don't know that we necessarily always constantly need all of these virtual queues. Uh, it's nice. Don't get me wrong. I like that. Like you can walk up to the, your assigned time and you're probably on that ride and off that ride guardians, maybe less than 30 minutes, uh, as opposed to waiting a long time. But I do think that at some point it's, it's okay. If someone wants to spend their vacation waiting in line for a ride for four hours, like a rise of the resistance or something like that, then that's their prerogative that they can do that, you know? So I, I do see like maybe uh, particularly guardians. I'm thinking it, it, I wouldn't be surprised if there was an announcement closer to that January 9th date that maybe they're getting rid of the virtual queue. Tron being still so new, I don't know if that's the case for that attraction yet, but um, for Guardians, it might be a little bit different than that too. So, But just something that I thought about that I, I, I hadn't popped in my head yet about the one o'clock in-park virtual queues as well. Um, I know that we, we want to make sure we're respectful of your time as well, Matthew, but I'm wondering if there's just anything, you know, this has just been kind of a all over the place sort of chat about Disney, anything that you're really looking forward to, whether that be in the parks or the company in general, as we start to wrap up things. They're, they're obviously doing a lot internationally that has made it more, even more appealing for someone from the U S to want to go internationally. So that was exciting news to see what they're developing um, and I think they are making it more attractive for folks from the U.S. to venture beyond. And that's always I've I've advocated. It's a great excuse to go and see someplace new. I've advocated for it, but I haven't actually done it beyond Paris. So <laughs> maybe a little bit hypocritical that way. But um, surprisingly, the big thing I'm excited for that I did get to experience was Journey of Water inspired by Moana. And I, you know, a lot of people, I think, there's going to be two levels of fans and you're probably going to see this um, or guests, I should say the ones who walk through it and say like, Oh, okay, cool. Next. But you know, just, just kind of like, you know, walk through it in five minutes and then you're done. And then there's going to be the guests who actually engage with it. And that was the case for me. I, I spent 45 minutes, an hour at journey of water and I didn't want to leave. Like it's, it's a really wonderful experience i love the fact that it's not a traditional ride it's something new it's a hearkening back to the spirit of interventions in the original epcot and the interactivity and the learning the physical learning that happens and then the reading of you know you can read and learn all about water and the environment and it's just it's such a wonderful little addition to epcot it's perfect for kids and for adults who want to have a good time and the one thing that I've noticed about it was it's so simple and so simple. It's deceiving because you walk up to something and you do something with your hands that makes water move and it feels so organic. 
that you take it for granted. It's so intuitive that someone had to take the time and the imaginator had to take the time to make sure that it felt organic and natural and develop wow. the technology to make it seem organic and natural. And nothing about that is simple, but it's deceptively simple to the guest point of view. Um, so all I'm going to say is when you go and experience it, try to you know enjoy yourself, of course, but pay attention to how seamless and intuitive it is and realize that someone, you know, a team of people like dedicated a lot of time to making it feel this way. Um, and I got to chat with some Imagineers and ask them some questions and they had responses that really surprised me at how wow. much thought went into designing this. And that again is to my point of like, Universal probably could have come up with this in six months, but it would have not been to this level of detail, authenticity, interactivity, simplicity, organic interactivity that Disney developed it to, which is why I like when Disney just takes their time to do it right. Just do it right. And then I'm happy. <laughs> I do have a question because I, I think from a, a guest standpoint, is that experience kind of a, a great way to cool down in Florida? It can at be. All times of the year? And it can, it can be. be. Yeah, oh. there's a, there are wet paths and dry paths. Um, ah, the wet uh -huh. paths, I did the wet paths too. Um, mm -hmm. I'd say you can go through the wet path and get a little wet, you know, think like Pirates of the Caribbean splash at right. the bottom of the first drop. Like, yeah, you know, just get but a that still wet. would like, be a relief. Yeah, it'd be, yeah. Uh, but you, but know, you can also go there. Weather. You can go there and I'd say, especially like when we go with Maggie, I'm going to have her wear a, um, like one of those bathing suit diapers because mm -hmm. like there's, especially for kids, a lot of opportunity to like get not not like jump in a pool but like right. really like yeah. get into almost like get into a fountain very similar to if you think about the the fountain that's in front of mission space and Guardians of the mm -hmm. galaxy cosmic rewind and test track mm -hmm. um how kids can kind of walk up to it and it's it get very wet or very, very similar to standing by the jumping fountains by the imagination pavilion like sure you can really get very wet if you want to it's yeah all a matter it's all within your control though sure yes <laughs> good that's awesome well, thank you that's yeah. really awesome. And it's been so fun getting a chance to catch up and chat with you, Matthew, and all the stuff that you're doing. It just, you know, another bit of Imagineering that you get to cover on Imagination Skyway as well. Right. So it's always fun that we're always continuing to grow. Brett, any final thoughts before we close this thing up? Mm, final thoughts? Uh, no, other than, well, every time we talk, I learn something. So thank you, Matthew. And especially with your MBA background, it's good to get that analysis. And I think sharing that with our guests gives them a little bit more information. I guess we'll have our very own MBA uh, person to give the sort of the financial outlook of the various Disney uh, decisions as we move forward. So I guess that's kind of it. But, I'm, you know, when, when I'm not there, I want to be there. So I much fun to chat with a friend for sure. Now, uh, mm -hmm. Matthew, let all of our listeners know where the heck they can find you. Uh, yeah, just search for Imagination Skyway on social media or on your favorite podcast app or just go to imaginationskyway.com. I've got links to all the places there. 
Awesome. And then of course, for us, you can uh, search for Beyond the Mouse anywhere you find podcasts. If this is your first episode listening, go back and listen to previous episodes. Actually, one of my favorite episodes, Matthew was a part of, it was a bracket show that we did a couple of years back on Walt Disney World attractions. And some of the answers surprise you as well uh, as we go through it. So go back and listen to that. But of course, you can find us uh, on Beyond the Mouse on the social medias, especially Beyond the Mouse Pod on Instagram. But then uh, definitely come and join Beyond the Mouse Podcast Pals on Facebook. Matthew's in there as well. So we can get a good conversation going once this episode drops as well. Uh, you can send all of your complaints to Matthew right there on that oh. particular thread. No, no of course no not. You, you explained yourself so well about price mm-hmm. increases. And I'm glad that we had an MBA here that's not just Vanessa going through her MBA. It's kind of nice <laughs> to have so much smart people around us at all times. So but much smart people? So okay. much smart. Yeah. So, so much okay. smart. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So for Beyond the Mouse, I am Craig. I'm Brett. And I'm Matthew. And we will see you real soon uh, in the front row. Uh, Probably maybe like a, you know, D23 Expo um, ultimate fan experience, something like that. Right, Brett? We're working on plans. Yes. We're trying. I mean, well, they just got you to say D23 Expo, and now they've thrown a new name at you. D23 Ultimate Fan Event. Now, Ultimate Fan Event. Yes, we can practice that. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Matthew. Thank you. 